Hey, Real Talk listeners, welcome back. Welcome back. We have more DNI to talk about. Michelle, I am super excited. This episode, we are talking about dun, 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 DEI. I think our listeners might be getting kind of like bored about this topic, but I feel like it's a topic we can constantly evolve and consider talking about. So Michelle, what are we talking about today? Well, yeah, we want to dig in a little bit. We've talked about high level D and I stuff. We've had number of guest speakers come on and give recommendations about how to get started. But I want to dig a little bit deeper and even offer some recommended resources on what you can do as a leader or as an organizational owner. The reality is it is hard to change the culture of a company. I once had someone tell me or equate it to turning a ship in the ocean. It's never going to be like, you know how with racing movies, like if you've ever watched, what's that Fast and Furious movie where they like slam on the brakes, shift in the gear, and then they do a 180 without even thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Turning a ship's never going to be like that, right? You got to turn the rudder a little at a time, especially the bigger it is, the slower you have to go because you don't want tilt. You don't want to end up destroying the ship just because you're trying to turn it around. And the reality is people are the same way. To move a culture, it takes slow progression. And for me, it's one of the hardest things to embrace because you know me and you know I'm at a point where I'm like, if you don't effing like it, go to another country. But we have to step back and we have to say, we're trying to move the needle to a completely different place. We're talking about revamping systemic issues all over corporate America. It is going to take more than a minute, but we've got to start somewhere. And so that's what we want to dig into is what are some resources you have right now that you could do to have a positive impact on diversity, equity, inclusion. Here's the thing, guys. It's not going to stop because there are people like me in the world who are going to keep shouting even when everybody that I know stops listening to me. I'm going to keep doing it. So this subject is not going to disappear. This isn't like a one and done. It is changing the culture. And so we're going to keep revisiting this topic until we start to see the progression that we need to be a more inclusive society. Yeah, I think there's a lot of things that are really critical. Obviously, it takes a village. I know that's kind of weird terminology, but to be a more inclusive society, it's going to take a village. One person cannot make this change. There's so many like sayings in like the Marvel movies, like only one person can make this change. Even in like the Smokey the Bear, like you can prevent forest. You can make a difference. (laughs) But I feel like in this case, it takes more than one person to make an impact on a specific topic. It is. And you can look at any culture in the world and you can see where... We're asking people to do something that goes against their comfort. I mean, think about it. When people move to America, they tend to be around people that are similar to them, whether it's 
you came from the same country, you have the same religion. There's the reasons we have things like Little Italy, right? Because people are comfortable around those that understand their culture. We're not suggesting that that go away. It's one of those things where it's actually, it's a really sensitive topic where is it that we want people to ignore their culture and start adopting everybody's culture? It's a little bit of both, actually. What makes you you is part of how you grew up. But what makes you better than you is how you start incorporating other positive things into your life. And so we do get that it's going to take a village. It's going to take a lot of people who want the same things, who are willing to face the same truth about where we are, where it's uncomfortable, and then move forward. Yeah, I think uh, it's going to be really critical for everybody to kind of initiate that. So let's talk a little bit. Obviously, we know we've talked a lot about how important it is from top-down perspective to encourage diversity. But let's talk a little bit about why the resources we invest in are even more important than that. Such a good point. And actually, at Real Talent, we have about a dozen steps that include top-down as well as lower-level integration of DEI topics. We're just going to give you a couple. We're going to give you a couple, let's say three for Maria, a couple pieces of advice that you can apply right away. And if you want more, reach out to someone like Maria, who has expertise in this field, who has certification, understands how to really infuse DNI into a culture versus just making it a one and done situation. Maria, one of my favorite places to start is to look at the hiring process. Obviously. I mean, we just got done talking about recruiting. So why not start with the hiring process? Now, we're not going to talk about how broken I think the recruiting process is. That's for another podcast. But we are at a place in this country where people are being extremely critical about where they go to work. And they have a lot more opportunities to say no to places than they did in the past. And so this is a great time for you to look at your recruiting process and identify what is working and what is not working, but also use this as a chance to step up your game from a DEI perspective. So I would say from a recruiting hiring process, what you want to start with is really identifying how you are currently attracting talent. And are those ways conducive to attracting a diverse group of talent versus being very narrow? You want to be very strategic about where you post positions, how you're advertising and marketing them. You want to make sure that you tap into all of your audiences so you can get your best possible candidates. Yeah, I think that's the best, right? Obviously, taking a look at people who come in beforehand to make sure that you have the best possible candidates. So where are you posting them? What websites? How are you advertising outside of those websites? Are you advertising in publications? What publications? Are those publications places that a wide net could be cast 
versus a really narrow net? Are you going through schools? You know, a lot of recruiters have gotten to a point where they're trying to be very proactive and they're going straight to universities or colleges around the country. What colleges are you targeting? Are you targeting specific degrees within that or people taking specific degrees? Or are you casting a wider net by attending the college fair? And then when you're at that college fair, how are you setting up the visuals? Are you approachable? Are you reaching out for people asking them to come hear what you have to say or share about your organization? So there really are places you can just look by strictly thinking about how are you getting the word out about your open positions? So I tell you from a hiring process, that's a great way to start. How am I marketing? Marketing's a lot bigger, especially when you're taking a look at diversifying and really reaching a set audience, as well as really taking a look at your branding. I think it's a lot bigger than what an HR department initially thinks it should be. I think it's huge. It's very important. Absolutely. So employee resource groups, Michelle. Oh, Jesus. I love employee resource group. I would tell you that I actively participate in multiple groups in any organization that I've ever worked for. But there are also some challenges behind them. So Maria, let's start with what are your thoughts about ERGs? I love ERGs when they're done appropriately. I think what's really most crucial is taking a look and assessing what the business is doing. If you really highly leverage and rely on employee resource groups or affinity groups to truly brand you and diversify you, I think you're going to epically fail because at the end of the day, they're just a bunch of the employees within the organization. They don't have the true tools and resources to be successful. Absolutely. I think there are, to your point of if they're done correctly, what I've seen is, I'm going to boil it down to two common problems that come up in relationship to ERGs that I have been a part of in the past. And one of them is when an organization relies on that employee resource group to be the sole champion for imposing diversity as it relates to whatever that group is, whether it is young leaders or a women's group or LGBTQ plus group, whatever it is, when you strictly rely on them to be the spokespeople. And that leads me to the second one, because you need them to be advocate, but they can't do it alone. So that leads me to the second problem, which is not all ERGs are aligned to a senior leader sponsor. By aligning your ERGs to a senior leader within the organization, what you do is you give that executive leader some responsibilities around implementing DEI. You can create measurable goals in relationship to that leader's sponsorship. And that leader then helps that ERG group become a force of education and a voice for other people that are similar to them. And so by aligning with that leader, you start to open it up to more than just 
your group of 25 or 30 LGBTQ plus employees. Now you've opened it up to a senior executive who is actively trying to find out how to incorporate better DEI solutions for that group. They are in a position as a senior executive to leverage that group and that group's knowledge in fundamental places within the organization where they're truly able to educate at a wider scope and have a truer voice on the organization. It's true. And I think executives are really super supportive when it comes to being able to not only provide individuals tools and resources, but help guide. And I think it's truly helpful to provide mentorship because there's people that go into ERGs that have never led groups before, have never been a leader. So for them to be public speakers or mentors or provide guidance, it's helpful for them to have an executive sponsor to be able to help support that. Absolutely. Another place that I would love to see some, let's say, progression in how organizations take this on is institutional onboarding programs. Typically, what an orientation or onboarding program looks like is how quickly can I get you access to all of the sites that you need access to, get you your credentials, your laptop, depending on the type of company you're with, your ID, and get you started. It really has become an effort of how quickly can I get this done versus how correctly can I get this done? So one of the places that we can start to look at how to help support DEI is through starting to tear down your onboarding programs, build a program that extends beyond the first week of employment. You want to build a program that potentially supports employees for the first six months. I can actually remember hiring folks at an organization that I used to work for. This is a horrible thing to do, but it was retail. And if you've never worked retail customer facing, then you have no clue how hard it is. It is hard. And we used to actually tell people, we would be like, okay, the next six months, there are going to be at least three instances where you go to your car during a break or at the end of the day, you bang your head on your steering wheel. You may be crying. You're like, what did I do? Why am I here? And we would say, if you could get past those three situations, you're going to realize it's not as hard as you think it is. But I think that's a great example of why we need to extend what onboarding looks like to that period. Most of us, if you have someone that's been with your organization long enough to know how to effectively do their job, kind of a standard that you will hear is people will say, oh, it'll take at least six months for them to be really, really productive. Well, if we know that, then why aren't we building that into the program? It'll help ensure their success. But in addition to that, I would also recommend that as a part of onboarding, you ensure that new employees, particularly those that are from underrepresented groups have mentors, mentors that can connect them with others in the organization, mentors that can help them find out how to bring their authentic self to work without being afraid of what the repercussions may be of not fitting in to the culture. 
they can have that mentor who will constantly check back in those regular intervals, reassess where they are, help to ensure that they're on the right track and that they're able to represent themselves in the way they want to, that they're able to bring themselves to work. And the truth is right now, most people who do not fit into the norm of your culture do not bring their authentic selves to work. They show up the way you have communicated that it's acceptable to show up. And so by having that mentor, that connector, who is a voice within the organization, you help to give authenticity to their voice. I think that's helpful. I think that's really critical and really important. I know we have, we can talk about this literally all day. And I think we're going to continue because DE&I continues to be a hot topic. But Michelle, do we have any resources we can give individuals while we continue on these conversations about how important DE&I is in the workforce? Yeah, I actually would love to recommend a book, particularly for leaders within the organization. Now, I want to pause for a second. And I want to be really clear. When I use the term leader, I mean the people who have the power to influence others. I have worked for a lot of people that couldn't influence me to show up to work on time. They were that bad. But I've also done things for peers that were above and beyond expectations because they have the characteristics of someone who is inspiring and motivating, who is truly a leader. So when I say if you're a leader within your organization, I don't mean do people report to you. I mean, do you influence others? And if you do, check out the book. It's called The Leader's Guide to Unconscious Bias. It is by Pamela Fuller, Mark Murphy, and Ann Chowell. Here's what I like about this book. So I was able to hear a short talk in relationship to this book at a conference that I went to, but I want to make sure I do it justice. So I am going to read a few things basically around this book so you'll understand why I'm really impressed with how this book is laid out. So Pamela Fuller has worked on leadership issues, particularly as it relates to bias and inclusion and has done that in the past with a firm called Franklin Covey. And you've heard both Maria and I talk about Franklin Covey because we have a lot of respect for that organization and the work that they put into their thought topics. But this is one of her first books and it works well as the toolkit for any person hoping to address institutional or individual unconscious bias. In the very first step of the process, Pamela writes, the very first step is discounting the idea that bias means one is inherently ill-intended or morally flawed. And by discounting that concept, it opens people up to own their bias so people don't become defensive. And I believe I've used this example before, Maria. I had the opportunity to attend a DEI session, and it was a super simple activity in the very beginning where the facilitator of the meeting would say, 
You know, if you like dogs, go to the left. If you like cats, go to the right. If toilet paper goes over, go to the left. If it goes under, go to the right. So just really simple topics. If you prefer hamburger, go here. Steak, go here. And then she started asking harder questions. Have you ever locked the door in your car because someone in a minority was walking near you? When we started asking those tougher questions, no one would move. Everyone stood there because everyone was reluctant to say, yes, I have biases. And it actually took her standing up and sharing an experience where as an Asian American, she has held bias against other people because of things that she learned. And she shared how once she was able to interact with people, she realized that it was a bias based on no foundation. And so she was able to start recognizing it and make a difference. And then as she did that, people started to get a little more uncomfortable. But the reality is they never got comfortable enough to have the really hard conversations. And so that's another reason that I really appreciate this book is Pamela really approaches this from a place of giving people the tools and the resources that they need as leaders to choose courage in having conscious conversations about bias, whether that is within your organization, within an individual, or within your small team units. And within this book, you'll actually walk away with worksheets, scripts, strategies, reflection questions, and just a ton more that will ensure that you as a leader don't go in ill-equipped at having the conversations. I love that. I think that's important. It's incredibly uncomfortable, but we can't allow lack of comfort to stop us from progressing. Maria, you and I, another thing that we have talked about in the past, and it's something that when I say progressing, that as an organization and a society, that's really what I believe and have seen will happen as a result of it. You know, I gave you the example once before that in the American household, women make 80% of the purchasing choices, 80% of the choices. And yet in many organizations that provide those purchases, they don't often have women at the decision-making level. I want you to think about that just a second. It's, It's that strategic piece that we're often talking about. Who is your customer and what does it take for them to feel valued from your organization? And when you're able to address that and truly create that diverse workforce where you have representation from multiple normally underrepresented groups, then what you're going to see is a change in how your customers interact with you. True. I think it's kind of a two-way street, like you mentioned. That's only as far as your customers are going to interact with you as much as you're going to actually have change. So guys, it's something you have to do. You want to move into the next 10 years, 
successful in your organization, then it's time that you address what is broken. Yep. Love it. Michelle, any last minute books to advise everybody on? You know what? I could name books. You know I could name books all day long. I know. But I think we gave them enough tools and resources for this episode. But I think everybody needs to listen and stay tuned for more. There's a lot more to come. Love it. Well, stay tuned, everybody. We have more. This is like a continuance of a series. So we will continue talking about DNI and Michelle will continue continue being passionate as we all are about this topic let's do it all right have a great day take care everyone bye